Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour, and today is Friday, December 1st, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives. As we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered, these tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, And that chapter of that book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for 19 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again, absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you choose to do that, it'll let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process. And it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. And we hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives. And secondarily, because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, please feel free to do so by giving us a call at 563 999-3581. If you call that number and press 1 on your phone, it'll put the little icon of a hand by your phone number. I will see that that's there and turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code. And if you're not 
able to check in live or don't want to call live, you may submit a question or a comment or a testimonial through email. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org. And you can email Jeannie at J-E-A-N-I-E at whyagain.org. That's W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N dot O-R-G. And if we get that through through the email, we'll address the comment or question on the Internet show, and then as time allows, send you a notification about what day and time that occurred so you can listen back to the archives for your feedback or input. Uh, mentioning the archives is another resource. There are archives available at whyagain.org of almost every session we've had for the almost 13 years we've been doing this. And there are some highlight shows listed when you click on that page that says Start Here. Jeannie has curated out some highlight shows. And there are some other highlight shows that have been curated out in the first hour of some shows on the MindShiftersAcademy.org website. So feel free to take advantage of these resources that Michael and Jeannie paying their own money and their time and intelligence and effort to maintain for your benefit. So, on my mind today, there are some things. We had a first hour yesterday and then a second hour of the show was loaded with things that sparked me to to want to share a book title. There's a book title. The title of the book is Give and Take. And I I'm I'm trying to pull up the author. I think it was Adam Green. Um, but it's a very useful book. Adam Grant is the name. And um, the idea of the book Give and Take is that this person, as a researcher, had a theory that there are people who are givers and there are people who are takers and there are people who are matchers and that you can actually, by asking them a series of questions and getting their own self-report, you can categorize people fairly reliably into these three categories, givers, takers, and matchers. And the theory is essentially givers give indiscriminately and takers take all the time and rarely give. And matchers will only give if they're um, convinced that they're getting back in equal measure. And so he developed this and was doing research on it, pretty reliable results in this assessment of whether you're a giver or a taker or a matcher. And then he had a theory that Givers would be overrepresented in the lower 25% 
of socioeconomic status. And his theory was that people would just give their their money away and they'll end up poor. But as a good researcher, he decided to do some experimenting and do some research. And what he found was he was only partially right. There are a higher percentage of people who are givers in the lower 25% of our socioeconomic status and there are many fewer takers in that 25%. But he also was shocked to find out that givers were overrepresented in the upper 25% of socioeconomic status. So now we had to try and figure out why. How, how is it that some people who are givers end up in the middle of the road and poor, and others end up way above average in their material wealth and possessions and their socioeconomic status. And he writes about that in this book. And there are some key features or factors that separate the givers who end up in the lower 25% from the, the the givers who end up in the upper 25%. And the people in the upper 25% do things like they satisfy all of their own and their family's needs first before they give. And they do not give indiscriminately. They give to other givers far more often than they give to matchers or takers. And so they are enriching and improving not just their lives and the lives of the people they give money to, but their environment because they surround themselves with other people who are givers. And if you take an example like Richard Branson, the billionaire, you know, the Virgin Records and Virgin air and virgin space and all of the other business projects and he owns his own island and he's he's quite the character and he's quite the bigger than life person and he's a billionaire and if he's going to hold uh, an internship program let let some young entrepreneur shadow him around or some several entrepreneurs shadow him around for a month to learn some of his best wisdom about making the world a better place and making money, etc. He doesn't just pick the brightest, the, the ones with the highest scores or the ones that his rich buddies tell him, oh yeah, you should, you know, you should take my my good buddy's son or daughter. He makes sure that he's assessed that the people he gives his time to, this very, very valuable time with him, these are also givers. These are people who are going to take what he's giving and give it in many multiples to all other kinds of people. in the world. They're going to make the world a better place. 
In other words, they're not just takers. So that's one big piece that came from listening to the second hour of the show yesterday where Susan Bingham had some questions about that. And another big thing that came from that, from me listening to that, was the idea that, um, again, the book is Give and Take by Adam Grant, and it's highly recommended reading for anybody who's in this on a spiritual path or, you know, likes to pay things forward or, you know, we've, we had somebody in the support group last night that was telling some wonderful stories about people who have paid things forward into her life and and the the way to make sure that you don't give to charity until you need charity is to have some boundaries around your giving and then another thing that was brought up was that um, as I listened, Susan Bingham was um, telling something to Michael that she absolutely understood from my reading of The Way of Mastery and my commentary about it. And Michael's immediate response was, no, that's not right. And, you know, one might think, if I'm listening to that, I would be offended or I would be defensive or I would, you know, want to go tell Michael that he's wrong. The issue is what Susan Bingham was telling Michael I said has almost nothing to do with what I said. So this brings me to this idea, and Michael Rice actually has a two-hour workshop video about this it's titled did you hear what i think i said and it's a talk about communication and the tool that is promoted through that video is called the responsibility communication tool and the reason the word responsibility is in the title of that tool is because there's an understanding in that lecture that I create my actual experience of life each moment. I create what I think people are saying. And there are many times when what I think I heard them say, I actually heard them say, has almost nothing to do with what they said or did. And that's the core of that workshop and the tool. It begins with the full-on recognition that I'm, I'm living my life based on my best guess about these sights and sounds and energies that are hitting my senses but I am not living my life in direct, full-on, absolute, simple, true experience of life. 
it just it's almost never the case because our senses are very very limited and we instantly make them mean you know, whatever comes through our senses we instantaneously give it meaning so it's been filtered and we may not have heard it all correctly or it may be showing up in our mind very differently than what the speaker intended and you know we've talked about this a number of times before we'll listen to a a video or watch a video or listen to an audio in our support group and then it'll go for an hour or so and then I'll turn off the audio or video and we'll have discussion time and if you're in that group you've got to raise the question from time to time are any of these people watching the same video or listening to the same audio one of the most common disconnects like that especially when we were meeting in person and we would be watching almost exclusively Dr. Michael Rice's videos one of the most consistent disconnects was that new people would sit at the table after we watched the video and come back around the table for our discussion time and they would say things like why does this guy have to be so negative and the rest of us who've watched these for numerous times each video etc have the experience that all he's talking about is love and being loving and removing everything less than love how do you look at that and say he's being negative it's just one of the many ways that each of us is hearing seeing experiencing things differently even when we think we're all sitting here hearing the same audio or watching the same video or you know attending the same play or the same football game so it's a really powerful message and lesson for us to understand that very bright very emotionally awake and intelligent very sensitive people can be listening to something and take something absolutely diametrically opposed away from what you take from it and this particular case in point was that Susan Bingham asked Dr. Rice you know what do you have to say about this Tim Hayes says that you know our emotions will always tell us the truth the real truth of what's going on and Michael's response was appropriately no that's not really the case because your emotions are only going to reflect the mind energy that you pour your the thoughts that you pour your mind energy into and being a creative force your mind energy is going to create more of whatever thoughts you pick so where did Susan Bingham get that well because we do talk about emotions and we do talk about our intellect and we do talk about the way of mastery is talking about how your intellect is not the way of the heart and the only way to understand and start to live and feel the truth of and apply 
the axioms of truth from the way of mastery is to be doing it from the awakened heart, not from the intellect. Because your intellect is going to immediately say, even in response to the first axiom, what do you mean I create all of this stuff? I didn't want to be poor. I didn't want my mother to die of cancer. I didn't want et cetera, et cetera. And the way of mastery comes right back and says, okay, but look, the way of the heart is, is not the way of the intellect. And the intellect was never intended to be your master. It was intended to be a very, very simple servant, a very reliable tool to be taken out and used in certain situations. So what can we use the intellect for? We can use the intellect to alert us when we're feeling discomfort or pain or a negative emotion. And we can have it arranged within our own understanding of things that that means whatever the intellect is doing, whatever it is I think I know, is not the truth. And then I can step back and cancel everything I think I want, cancel my need to be right, cancel everything I think I know, and ask to be shown something different. And how will I know if the next thing that shows up in my mind is closer to the truth, closer to the capital T truth or the actuality of life? I'll know it because I will feel calm. I will have a calm, centered, deep-rooted certainty that may not even make any sense to my conscious logical mind or my intellect. So this is one of the more powerful lessons that we can watch, especially if we get into a, a support group community, because we'll, we'll have experience of these people as being very well-intentioned and intelligent and emotionally awake and aware and emotionally intelligent and emotionally sensitive, and we'll be listening to a person say or do something and we'll have three or four different responses saying, well, this is what they're saying. And the other person will say, well, no, wait a minute, that's not what I heard and that's not what I think it means. And So in that community which is safe, because we know people are not trying to fight for being right or shout somebody down, they're just trying to share a perspective and everybody's free to make it mean whatever they want and choose whatever perspective works best for them. So the environment is a safe place to explore. Well, I think I heard you say this. Did you hear what I think I said? Here's what I think I said. Did you hear that or something else? And if you heard, if you heard that, can you help me understand what that means to you? Is this a positive thing? Because I was intending it to be a positive thing, but from your reaction, it sounds like you were taking it as a negative or as something that was a challenge to you. If we can open up our communication in that way, from the basic observation that none of us knows, and that every time we have this firm, rock-solid knowing, and there's vim and vigor, and, and we're, we're passionate about it, chances are pretty good we're not correct. Chances are pretty good we've got a bias in effect 
there's a series of distortions in effect that are preventing us from seeing the shimmering radiance, the creative energy, the truth of what is, the truth of our neighbors, our brother and sister, the truth of the situation. And while it's very, very accurate to say that Tim Hayes and Dr. Michael Rice do not agree on everything, that's a very accurate statement, full stop. At the same time that's true, it's also true to say that Tim Hayes and Dr. Michael Rice don't disagree on some of the things that other people think they disagree on. So if you listen to Dr. Michael Rice's response to Susan Bingham yesterday, I wouldn't need to change any of it. Because what Susan Bingham thought she heard me say about how emotions always tell us the truth is not what the message is from the way of mastery and not what we've been talking about. It landed with Susan in a way that was beautiful because then she brought it up to Michael because it didn't quite make sense because there's these other things that Michael says that clearly are communicating a different observation. There is this thing that came from the... I think it was um, Jesus, My Autobiography is one of the places where I liked the way they talked about it. As your emotions are basically your guidance system. In this very simple way, if you're feeling calm and safe and centered and loving and gratitude, appreciation-based energies flowing through your system, you're probably headed in the right direction with your thoughts, words, and actions. If there is any kind of tension or defensiveness or any of the emotions people might label as negative, you're probably not headed in the right direction with your thoughts, words, and actions. So in that way, if you have that understanding without any other added extrapolations or interpretations, you might formulate a thought that says, your emotions tell you the truth. But they won't tell you the whole truth of everything. They'll just tell you the truth about whether or not you're headed in the right direction or you're headed off the mark. And the, the specifics of it, the details of where you might be off the mark, are going to be found in what are the thoughts that you're choosing to value and pour your mind energy into that are then generating or resonating within you these negative emotional experiences. So just a few of the notes that I made from the second hour of the show yesterday, and I gladly welcome comments or questions about the book Give and Take or the idea of experiencing the truth of something when I'm listening and how will I ever be able to know if I'm experiencing the truth of something when I'm listening that's a complex answer to that question 
and so you know we we might want to be mindful of how we answer it and we might want to maintain this willingness to cancel everything we think we know and everything we think we need or want and the third step of the recommendation from the promise in the beginning of the way of mastery is find a way and it might be quite the challenge, but find a way to look lovingly on everything. Everything you've ever done. Everything you've ever heard, seen, thought, felt, said, or done in your entire life. And if you're willing to do that, the destination is assured. You will reach the goal you have whether you call that goal finding God or returning home or being aware of your true nature or having a more accurate perception of life, that's just promised in the little bit of writing called the promise at the beginning of the book, The Way of Mastery. Five six three nine 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 three five eight one. Call that number. Press one. We can have a conversation. It is a cautionary tale, and I use that that phrase, cautionary tale, and some people get a curious look on their face, like they don't understand it. And a cautionary tale is a story, whether it's a true story or it's a fable or whatever, that I can use to raise a level of awareness and caution for myself. I can say, oh, hey, look, I'm watching this person who judges other people as wrong all the time and keeps beating their chest about how they're so right and and I've noticed that they're pretty miserable in their life. I don't want to do that. So, if that's what's happening, you could say, I'm using my awareness of their story as a cautionary tale so that I have caution not to repeat a similar pattern which might very well lead to results that I really wouldn't prefer. So the cautionary tale, judgment of any kind. If you watch in your own life or in anybody else's life, you're accurately watching and attributing correctly the consequences from someone someone judging that will be for you a cautionary tale you will see that you know as the way of mastery says when you judge the very cellular structure in your body doesn't function properly 
McMaster goes on to say, you know what? If you could see the truth of that, could see and feel the absolute truth of what happens in your energy system, even the physical energy system you call the body, whenever you judge. If you could be aware of that, you would never judge again. And you might use your own experience as a cautionary tale. So, the way of mastery, since no one has a hand up, we'll come back to reading here in our review of the third lesson. It talks about how one of the first things people on a spiritual path will do if somebody, their teacher, their mentor, their guru says, hey, you know what, when you judge something, it's a it's a detriment to you, your relationships, the other person. Unless they're completely awake, they will be resonated, you know, into the upset, et cetera. And so the first thing a spiritual aspirant will do is say, well, that's it, I'm never judging again. And then, of course, because they really, really want to be good at what they do, when they wake up and realize they've been in judgment, they start beating themselves up, which is, again, judgment. And so the way of mastery says, therefore, when you've judged, please don't beat up on yourself because only love can heal. So just say, ah, yes, I'm in judgment. I recognize that energy. I recognize that pattern. I've learned how to judge really, really well from my bloodline, from my family. And that's an interesting cloud passing through the field of my awareness. And I can choose again. So whatever you do, and then you have a thought, oh, that was bad or wrong, now you're in judgment. Whether it was something you did two seconds ago or 50 lifetimes ago, when it comes into your awareness, it's coming up so that you can release your attachment to it. You can cancel your judgment of yourself for having done it. And you can look lovingly upon that memory or that place in your mind where the negative emotions around that, guilt, shame, etc., have made a home. And it comes up not to punish you, but to give you an opportunity to bring new presence to thoughts and energies that once defeated you. What does it mean they defeated you? They had you judging, which takes you to the other end of the universe from where you say you want to be. What does it mean it defeated you? It had you choosing for anger or bitterness or fear rather than for love in the moment. And since your essence is love and you feel best when you're consciously aware of that, you can call it a temporary defeat when you're choosing something else. So, the way of mastery goes on and says, you know the experience of looking back in your life and suddenly seeing a scene in which now you know in the past you behaved selfishly or from ego and that you were manipulative, manipulative or cunning or hurtful. 
or you recognize, quote, oh my God, I was really in judgment of that person. If only I could go back and undo it, close quotes. Do you know that feeling? Well, I say unto you that you can go back and undo it because everything is present. There is no such thing as past and future. There is only now. So when you have that thought or that memory, it's coming up for a very specific reason. It's coming up for you because as a soul, you are learning about forgiveness as a process for dismantling false perceptions and judgments and negativity. And it's coming up for you to undo the effects of your previous choices. Not undo your previous choices, undo the effects of them. And so it's being presented to you yet again that you might make a new choice. And when that old memory comes, stay with it. Look right at it. Don't run away from it. Don't shake and shiver and shy away from it in shame or guilt or repression. Look right at it. Recognize how judgment worked in you at that time. And then say to that image of that person in your mind or to that image of that event in your mind, quote, I judge you not. I extend forgiveness to myself for what I have created. In other words, I'm going to cancel and disassemble and withdraw my attachment from the judgments and perceptions I created in the past. And then, again, to that image in your mind of that person or event, say, I embrace you and I extend the love to you. And I free you to be yourself in allowance, in surrender, in acceptance, and I bless you with the blessing of Christ. Close quotes. Then it's recommended that you do some imagery work and you see the image or the memory begin to gently dissolve into light until there's no trace of it left. And then the recommendation here is you just be done with it. You don't keep going back and picking it up. You don't question whether or not you did it enough and it was effective. If it wasn't enough and it wasn't effective, the memory will come back later and you can repeat the process then. But when you're doing this process, assume that you're directing your mind energy to watching the memory dissolve into light until there's no trace of it means you're done with it. Means You've canceled the thoughts and judgments that you've created. You've withdrawn the value from the negative perceptions that you created in the past when you were in judgment. The text reads, right, but right away then your mind is going to say, but wait a minute, when I kicked that little boy in the shins when I was four years old just to watch him scream, well, he's not here. What good is this to me to do this little exercise? He's not going to benefit from it. The text reads, isn't he here? The body is not here. But the body is not quite the soul. 
And now, here's a statement that Four words that, if you start to understand this work at a different level, will rock your world. And and if you use your intellect to try and comprehend this, it's not going to make any sense. But the four words are, all minds are joined. Now your intellect is going to say, well, that's ridiculous. I don't know what this person is thinking. You know, I'm, I'm only making guesses about what you know Tim Hayes said on the radio show the other day, and then when I repeat it to Michael, Michael says it's wrong, and then Tim says I didn't hear it the right way, and so I I, I don't know. All minds can't be joined, so my intellect is going to pick at that kind of stuff. Again, the image comes to me of taking my intellect with all of its chattering and all of its tension and thoughts that if I pour my mind energy into it are going to create negativity and fear and sadness and all of the stepchildren of fear, all the negative emotions, and I put it over at the kiddie table in my mind with some Oreo cookies and milk, and I let it just sit there and play with Legos and Oreo cookies and let it have a, you know, a gossip fest with other negative thoughts over there. I'm not interested. My intellect cannot comprehend how all minds are joined. It just can't. It can pretend it does. It can make theories about it. But it's just not capable. It was never designed to understand my true nature my experience of myself as a spark of the divine consciousness, the intellect was never, never capable of comprehending that. So these four words, all minds are joined, is not something for your intellect to understand. But what does it mean? Well, in the phrase, all minds are joined, what that means is that wherever you extend forgiveness within the consciousness within the emotional field of your mind, forgiveness, again, is dismantling anything that's false or dismantling any judgment. When you do that within your consciousness, within the field of your mind, it's also being done within the field of the other person's mind, whether they're physically present or not, because all minds are joined. And... Because all minds are joined, even if they're not in front of you, you are absolutely extending to them exactly what you could extend to them if they were physically in front of you. Because even if they were physically in front of you, they would still have their choice to make about whether or not to receive it. They can choose to accept this process of forgiveness and dismantling of perceptions and your willingness to see them as a being of brilliance and light or they can remain in judgment of you and they can hold resentment and bitterness and refuse to see you as a being of brilliance and light but that's their issue not yours so the text says in the last paragraph of that segment it says understand then that you are dealing with consciousness you are not a physical being. You are spirit. 
and you're intimately linked with all minds at all times. Therefore, dismantling your negative judgments of another can occur any time that you decide it can occur. This forgiveness process can be done by you any time you choose to do it. Anyone you have ever believed has wronged you can be forgiven by you, can have your judgment against them as having wronged you dismantled in any moment. Anytime you've judged another and therefore been in judgment of yourself, you can undo that in the very present moment simply by making another choice, a different choice, a choice to see them as the shimmering radiance of creation expressing in form, a chance to see yourself as someone who's always been doing the best he or she can with whatever resources he or she has. And worthy of love as an equal to every other spark of divine awareness and you can make that choice to see yourself and every other spark of awareness that you interact with in that way in any moment regardless of how many times you've been in judgment or you've created negative perceptions of them in the past Now, some people say this is a lot of hooey. And some people might use this to say, well, so I can just stay in my little apartment or my house on my little meditation mat and I can do all my forgiveness work right here. I don't have to go deal with those people that I was in a shouting match with the other day. Or, you know, Anybody who's been in a 12-step program knows they have a whole process for making amends. And so some people might say, well, I don't have to do that. This is not saying that there's no value in connecting directly with other people and communicating directly. It's just saying that you are not in a prison. You are not being prevented from moving forward in your own work personally, spiritually, emotionally, however you want to look at it, because somebody else isn't in front of you in the moment, or maybe they're no longer in the body, or maybe they want to hold a grudge against you. All this is saying is you are not a victim of any of those situations. There's nothing in this work that says it's bad or wrong to go make a formal apology to somebody and or let them know what you've learned about this, um, we'll call it a process of forgiveness. That might be very helpful. It might be the best way for you to move forward. And it's not um, a prison sentence for you if the other person is not willing to accept the apology and or make amends with you and or continue the relationship. 
So please do what you can in the context of this work to think of it in terms of yes and rather than, well, the way of mastery said this and so I don't have to go talk to anybody in person. I can just you know, do this all in my head. It's, it's, it's a very powerful tool. I know a number of people that have tried this process for dismantling their attachments to false judgments of the past that we would call forgiveness in this work, and they like it, and they use it often, and it's a very powerful tool. So as any very powerful tool that we encounter, because it has great power, it can be used to my benefit or my detriment. And only each of us as individuals are ever going to know, am I using this to my benefit or am I using this to avoid doing something I don't really want to do? So, yes, there is a recommendation of this forgiveness process where you visualize something that's happened in the past that you now clearly look at and say, yeah, I wish I hadn't done it that way. And you can do a tremendous amount of work to detach your judgments against yourself or someone else in that way. And it does not mean it's a bad or a wrong thing to do in-person apologies or making amends, etc. It's just a statement that I don't have to build a sense of doom and gloom around myself if the person that I offended in the past is no longer in the body or if the person that I offended in the past refuses to accept my apology when I try to make amends, etc. So, as with most of these situations, I would recommend a yes and perspective rather than, a, well, this is the right way and this is the wrong way. So we have some time for comments or questions, 563-999-3581. It would be of great benefit to all of us if you would call that number and press 1 on your phone and give us a comment or a question or a reaction while we still have some time left on the clock in our first hour. Area code 610, Susan? Hi, Dr. Tim. When was that? I didn't listen to the second hour yesterday. So I was very surprised to hear I said so much on it. <laughs> but it was probably recorded quite a while back, right? Do you know the date? Yesterday's show? Yeah, the rerun that Michael did that you listened to that I was talking a lot on. I I don't think it was a rerun yesterday. Well, I wasn't on the show yesterday, so... It was a rerun. Uh, I heard them announce it at the very beginning, and I hung up because I had so much going, and I thought, oh, if it's a rerun, then I could watch it some other time or not, you know. But 
So you think in the beginning of that hour, mm, yeah. she said it's a rerun. Pardon me? Didn't you, re- didn't you, am I nuts? That was, that, you, that was the day before yesterday. Oh, it was the day before yesterday. Was I on yesterday? Holy yes. Mackerel. Oh, okay. I'm losing my memory. Yes. I don't, I don't remember that discussion at all. Oh my God! What's well, the good news is it's, it's in the archives. <laughs> Are you sure that it wasn't yesterday? No. I mean, no, I'm not. But it's easy enough. You just go listen to it. <laughs> oh my God! God, I thought, oh my God, I was on there talking like that, and here, oh well. Anyways, okay. Yeah, I thought. I know that Michael was on, I thought he was on the day before, and then yesterday, for some reason, he wasn't on and was running a rerun. (sighs) Okay. Boy. All right. Well, weird. Okay. Okay. So, does it make sense, what I was saying about all of that, even if it's on the wrong day that <laughs> sure. we all yeah, it does. we all hear things differently mm-hmm. and we're not trained to think and speak as though we hear things differently no right? i and, we're trained, and what we're, I we're, we're trained to think and speak as though we know what we heard and we're right and anybody that disagrees with us is wrong yeah well, you know, as as I get older, I'll be on a walk with my husband, and I'll say something, and he'll say, oh, you mean such and so, and I say, that's what I said, and he said, no, you didn't. You said the other person, or the other name, or whatever. So I, I do think brain cells are, if not blinking out, they're doing a wild little dance. But on the other hand, what I said to Michael ostensibly yesterday, that feelings are true, I can't imagine saying that now on the level that you both are talking about it. Feelings well, you, are, said, you, you said the phrase, feelings tell us the truth. About where we're at, but that doesn't mean they're objectively the truth. But anyway, it, you, it doesn't matter. But, but you didn't say those words. Yeah, you said, I understand. feelings tell us the truth... And mm-hmm. then Michael jumped in with no. Right? Oh so it, it doesn't mean that you misunderstood in your heart or that you're, you're, you got the whole message wrong. Mm-hmm. If Michael hadn't jumped in right away and said, no, that's not my take on it, you might have talked a little bit more and talked about it in a way that Michael would have said, yes, I agree with that. I, I wouldn't agree. Yeah. Michael has that thing about, he's going to parse down to every single word, right? Because, and he talks about it, this regulatory speech, and he gave a nice little summary of it and how powerful that is in our experience, et cetera. And yet, Mm -hmm. that's not the critical point I'm making. The critical point I'm making is how often, because of the way we're trained and conditioned, how often we hear something, that we're absolutely certain we heard, and four or five other people around us might have been there and said, yeah, that's not really what I heard. 
I don't yeah. think that's what he or she said, etc. And if we are not willing to just say, oh, okay, tell me what you heard, if we want to argue or struggle or fight for how what we think we heard is right, we end up in this mess. Mm. And if we step into what the way of mastery asks us to do right in the beginning of the promise and say, hey, I don't know what's going on. I don't know anything. I'm just making my best guess here. And I'm not attached to defending my best guess. I'm just going to ask to be shown what's there, and if you've got a different view, I'll be happy to entertain that. And if I can take that perspective more often in my life, imagine the transformations that would happen. Yeah. Well, I just went up on whyagain.org on November 29th. That was yesterday. No. No. Yesterday was the 30th. Today is the 1st. Oh, so it was the day before that was pre-recorded. Okay. I I hate to be a stickler for that, but that's what the calendar says. (laughs) That's okay. That's okay. I'm really more concerned about my brain cells than anything else. Don't worry about it. Your brain cells are working really, really well. And... And it it is a um, a great value, even if I make a mistake like that and I'm doing it on the radio show, because it, it lets other people see. Oh, well, let me question this. Oh, wait, how many times have I done something like that? If somebody as brilliant as Susan Bingham can have a, a misperception like that, I probably can too. And if it opens me up to questioning and asking to be shown and having different experiences, then I'm, I'm expanding my experience. I'm growing. I'm learning. And that's, that's mm. one really good way to think about why we're here. Mm. Well, thanks for that take. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, you're welcome and deserving. I just looked up and realized we're down to our last minute. So thank you again for calling Michael yesterday and calling in for me today, and I will mute you so you can listen to the second hour, and I will remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. And I'll welcome Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tim. And I hope you have You're a welcome wonderful welcome and deserving. You too. Blessings. Thanks. So welcome, everyone, to the second hour of Mindshifters Radio. And today is Friday, and it's the first day of December, 2023. Our call-in number is 563-999-3581, and press 1, and that puts you in the queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and questions, because that makes this your show. Give Michael a moment to dial in. And uh, 
I'll just say I, I got an email. I'm trying to open it up as I speak here um, from Dr. Andraki and uh, was very pleased to see that he's, you know, he's been out of country for a little while and uh, I'm not finding it. Um, anyway, their support group is ongoing on Fridays and he sent an email. He's uh, doing something special. Ah, I will find it and uh, put it on the website. He's showing a movie. And um, anyway, uh, I'll have to go over to my other email. Maybe it came to Y again instead of my MSN. Anyway, I will find his email and I will put the flyer on the website under the support group. Um, and if you wonder where that is, if you go to whyagain.org and uh, go under healing, support, and then there's MindShifter support group. And so uh, you can find that information and, and a lot of the groups are by Zoom. And so you can join in. You don't have to be over in Nevada to participate. I will uh, double check with Stephen and find out uh, what their link is if they're still doing it by Zoom and, and not just in person. But I was pleased to, to see that that was still ongoing. I know because he has been traveling the world a lot that I uh, thought, well, perhaps that wasn't happening. But it is, and so I'm glad about it. If you are holding a support group, you might want to go out to my website and click on the, that uh, healing and uh, support and mind shifter support groups and see that I've got your information correctly. You know, sometimes people will change from one day to another and and maybe your Zoom link is different or maybe you're doing it just in person now and not by Zoom. And so let me know those things so that I can make the change on the website. And Michael has joined us, so I'm going to say welcome, Michael, while I go out and try to find Dr. Androcki's email. Thank you, dear heart. Uh, you know, he used to be on the list. Was his name taken off of it? We had it uh, listed there previously. I'll have to go out and look. Yeah, it's probably still there. And it was by Zoom. And he, yeah. You know, he was traveling for several months and wasn't in the right. country. And um, he had been doing it by Zoom, and so now maybe, you know, they're doing it just in person. But... I will Great. get all that information and update the site. Awesome. Well, welcome everybody to Mind Shifters Radio. Delighted that you're here. It uh, always warms my heart that we get to continue this conversation and layer by layer, level by level, insight by insight, we build the brain cells to... Uh, to move into this space of healing. Actually, I had a computer crash. Boo-hoo. Lost a hard drive with uh, all my data on it, although I think we've got most of it backed up. Uh, and when we were restoring the computer, I came across the video of communication. Did you hear what I think I said? And I was mesmerized by the first five minutes of that video. Oh, it was just awesome. 
such a simple, like I didn't know I knew it that well back then. I, that video was done, geez, maybe 17, 18 years ago. But the way it came together was just, uh, so perfect in terms of getting this concept that the world we look at is painted on the inside of our eyeballs. It's not on the outside of our eyeballs. And I don't know if I could replicate it now, but I, I, I'm inclined to give it a shot. And basically, it's, it's a video, so you'll visualize, if you would, that I've got a whiteboard here. And I'm going to draw a flat line, good size, long flat line relative to the size of the board. Then I'm going to draw a semicircle, about a third of a circle up above it. And then I'm going to do two little circles inside of it. And you might think of Kilroy, you know, the creature that looks over the table. You see the eyes coming over the table and the nose. So I've drawn a picture that looks like that. And I've asked my audience, well, what is it? Got it? And they go, well, it's Kilroy. Well, it's somebody peeking over a table. Well, it's a Volkswagen. No, it's a two-door igloo. And those would be reasonable uh, projections on those lines on the board. And, and the truth is, and I point out in the presentation, that the truth is they're just lines on the board. That's all. However... Only the person with brain cells for Kilroy would look at that and have Kilroy resonated and paint on the inside of their eyeballs Kilroy. Only the person who sees that, you know, humpback Volkswagen and has the brain cells for that would look at that and go, oh, round, it's just a Volkswagen. Got to have the brain cells for it in order to even imagine what it is. So I go on and say, so let's imagine that uh, we've got a gentleman who is in the jungles of Guatemala, has lived his whole life there. And so imagine you've just, you're the teacher, and you've just met this man from the jungles of Guatemala. Now, this person has never seen anything more complex than a dugout canoe. The temperature's never been below 70 degrees probably in his life. And I want you to imagine what you're going to have to do in order to get this guy to look at this framework and think two-door igloo. First of all, you've got to get him to understand that there's a thing called cold. And then when cold happens it and water is exposed to it, the thing he swam and fished and played in all his life, that it turns to a solid substance. So how are you going to explain this to somebody in the Guatemalan jungle, that this water that has never been lower than 70 degrees in his life turns into a solid that you can cut with a saw? And then you build a building with it, and you live in it. <laughs> Imagine what it's going to take to get this man to build the brain cells to look at these silly lines on a board and say, two-door igloo. 
There's such a profound lesson in that. Yet, you know, in the Course in Miracles, it's one of the primary early lessons, you know, like in the first ten lessons. I forget which one is, maybe two or three. And that lesson says, I have given this all the meaning it has for me. Now, for the person who saw the Volkswagen, does Volkswagen in that person's mind say anything at all about the lines on the board? Absolutely nothing. The person who says, Kilroy, does Kilroy say anything at all about those lines on the board? Absolutely nothing. To the person who says, man looking over a table, does that say anything about the lines on the board? Or the two-door igloo? No, in each case, the meaning describes not the lines on the board, not the external world, not the actuality, the information that flies up and gets painted on the inside of one's eyeballs only tells you about what's inside the mind that owns the eyeballs. Now, that's a tough one to get. You mean all hate and fear and rage and guilt and grief and trauma and drama? You mean that's all just a meaning painted on the inside of my eyeballs? You mean Bill isn't the one who enraged me? Mary isn't the one who hurt me? Hortense isn't the one who made me sad? You mean all those things, all those meanings painted on the inside of my eyeballs flying up into my brain have nothing to do with the external world? (laughs) They only tell me about the content of my mind? That's the upshot of it. And one of the primary purposes of this work is to hopefully inspire you to be willing to own everything that your mind paints on the inside of your eyeballs that comes with fear or hostility in any of its forms attached and apply forgiveness to remove it from your structure. Otherwise, you're looking through a glass, you know, whether the glass, you know, the lines of the border out there, whether the glass is Kilroy or someone peeking over a table or a Volkswagen or a two-door igloo, I'm looking through a filter that gives meaning to what's out there. That might resonate for you, the thought that Paul offered a couple thousand years ago where he says, we see as though through a glass darkly. Gee, did it ever occur to you that the scriptures were about becoming responsible for the content of your own mind and having your life renewed by the renewing of your mind? Did that ever occur to anybody? That it wasn't about theology and it wasn't about dogma and it wasn't about doctrine, it wasn't about hanging Jesus, it wasn't about suffering, it wasn't about pain, it wasn't about worship, it was about cleaning up your mind so that you could live as a human being, as You are designed to live the active presence of love. Every cell in your structure, every thought in your structure, every perceptual construct in your mind, every energy that moves in your structure is designed to be based in love. But what do we do? What have we been trained to do? I take those meanings painted on the inside of my eyeballs, and I talk as though you're responsible for them. You made me sad. You made me proud. You hurt me. You're the problem in my life. I need to get away from you. Anybody ever taken the geographic cure? 
You ever notice that when you were taking the geographic gear, the person who picked you up at the airport at the other end finished the sentence that the person that dropped you off started? How does this happen? Why is this happening to me again? Because it's inside of you and you take it with you wherever you go. And sadly, we have two forms of communication. This is out of our communication, did you hear what I think I said workshop? It's also part of the uh, codependence to interdependence 90-hour self-study that we have. Reality, the content of one's mind reflected in a picture painted on the inside of the eyeballs that makes sense to the perceiver, is a strictly internal construct of that mind. Sometimes it reflects what's going on in the actual world, and most of the time, or I should say, whenever there's hostility or fear, it represents nothing going on in the actual world. It only represents what's going on inside of us. And to me, it was such genius for this man, Yeshua, to come along to, to 2,000 years ago and say, here's how you collapse the false projections of your mind. Here's how you remove your There's another one Paul got in there, you know. Beware you who judge another for that which you judge another. You have been guilty of practicing? You know, how many times did we hear about the preacher in the back who's, who's raging about the homosexual or raging about the prostitute or raging about this or raging about that? And then when they catch him in the back room, what's he doing? Exactly what he's railing against. Oh, dear. What a game. But most people only have one language, and it's the projection language. And the projection language is, I have a construct in my mind that I describe in terms that wants to make it true about the world and not true about me, and, and, and convince me that the world's responsible for it. But once again, you've been through it 87 different times with 42 different people. Who do you suppose it belongs to if it's in your mind? And if you use projection communication, which means you're in denial. Remember our, our definition of denial, when I think or speak as though something inside of me is caused by something outside of me. Most people never say a word about a word that approximates being responsible for the content of their own mind. Their words are all about how they take their own content and they make it the responsibility of the world. Now, if you do that, again, that's called denial. What has to happen in order for your mind to build to paint the picture on the inside of your eyeballs that it does, you have to dissociate from the truth of what's going on inside of you, from the real cause of what it is that you're experiencing that's so painful. So the whole language we're taught from day one is the language of a very deeply embedded religion in the human psyche. It is the universal religion. It is the one world religion of blame. The whole language of our cultures, most of them on the planet, <clears throat> there might be a few indigenous cultures where that's not true. I haven't experienced them, but I suspect they are from what I've read of some of them. But literally, the whole language is based in denial, dissociation, projection. And now I use my words 
to try to prove to you that the construct inside of my mind, painted on the inside of my balls, is caused by you. Meanwhile, the thing is causing my pain. To hold that belief, I have to hide my pain from me. How many generations do you suppose that's been going on? Remember that tune? How long has this been going on? A long, 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 long time. So what we're introducing is a tool called responsibility communication. We do have it in a four-hour audio program that you can either get streaming or CDs of. We do have it in a two-hour DVD program that you can buy on our website and the catalog. But the shift to move out of projection communication requires a whole new language. That's why when somebody hears about forgiveness, says, oh, boy, Michael, I'm so excited. I want it all. I've got five bucks in five minutes. I say, thank you, but put your five bucks back in your pocket. If all you've got to dedicate to making a shift out of the insanity of literally the whole world that you've been brainwashed into from the first day of your life, as we all were, if the only thing you want to invest is five bucks in five minutes, don't bother because you're wasting your time. This is a project that takes time. This is a lifetime of dedicated work to clean up and move out of your projections to get rid of enough pain in your structure that you can actually consider a different reality. If the person who saw, quote unquote, the Volkswagen on the board, who saw the Kilroy, who saw the character head you know, peeking up over a table, who saw the two-door igloo, if that person could weaken the energetic patterns within their minds to the point where they could collapse them, <clears throat> then they could get a taste of what's actually there on the board. Now, of course, that's a metaphor for you know, the person you think caused your hate, the person you think hurt you, the person you think caused your sadness, etc., etc. That's all a lie. The only reason you're experiencing it is because it's inside of you. And if it's not inside of you, you are not going to experience it. I don't care what happens. So we're working to weaken and remove the energetic patterns that are based in projection and looking to strengthen and build the brain cells for truth. Now, again, I'm going to invite you to go back. You're the teacher of the person in the Guatemalan jungles who's never seen a temperature below 70 degrees, and you're going to teach him that this water turns to a thing you call ice, and you cut it into a squares, and you stack it up, and you make a building, and you live in it. I mean, just think about that. How long is that going to take? Now, if you've lived in a world where your whole language and your whole perceptual construct is about projection communication, how long do you suppose it's going to take to weaken those frequency patterns in your brain cells that have been reinforced for probably 100 generations? How long do you suppose it's going to take to move into a place where you develop a language where you speak as though you know you're responsible for the meanings held in your mind, you're responsible for the output of your own mind? 
and you recognize you're painting on the inside of your eyeballs, and maybe it's so terribly, terribly painful that you have no idea what to do with it, and yet what you're looking to do with your communication now, instead of blame somebody for what's going on in your mind, is you're looking to own what's in your mind, and you're looking to enlist support for healing those things. Now we move into the realm of responsibility communication. Out of projection communication into responsibility communication. I use only words that reflect my awareness that the output of my mind, the meaning I hold here, whatever, whether it's painful or wonderful, doesn't matter, that is something that belongs to me and it's inside of me. And if I don't like it, I have the power to change it. Yes, when you start to apply forgiveness, and there's only one tool I know of, only one in 50 years of developing this work. That's why I've dedicated my life to it. There's only one that I know that if you apply consistently, persistently, you will rid yourself of the insanity of projection and you will move into the place of a responsible creator that gets to live as you're designed to live. But it's going to take words that reflect that you're aware you own what's going on inside of you, and it's going to take the use of a tool that weakens the frequencies of the projected meanings of the pain of the trauma of a thousand generations to the point where it no longer calls out to you so emotionally and so powerfully that you get lost in it, that you get totally sucked into it. So that's our workshop, communication. Did you hear what I think I said? And it's a delight to get to share it with you. And we're at the 20-minute mark. And Miss Ginny, do we have anybody in the phone queue with a hand up or anything happening in the chat room? By the way, the responsibility communication instructions, there's a worksheet for that. You know, we have a worksheet for everything. You can go to the website, whyagain.org, and look for communication rules, and that will lay out step-by-step step how you start to make that shift. And, of course, the, if you're not using the forgiveness tool, we invite you to go to our, your, pardon me, app store on your phone, type in the words Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. I just got a note from someone the other day who'd done this work back 35 years ago when we only had paper copies before Jeannie developed the app. And he wrote to me the other day and said, it's so easy to do this now. I live on a boat and I don't even have to, I, I, don't, I don't have to have a piece of paper. I just do it right there on the phone. That's awesome. Yeah. So you can get the forgiveness process right there. You can go to our website. You can do it live on the website. You can actually fill it in and do it live, print a copy from there. Or you can go to the website and there are several different versions of the worksheet, each one slightly different, each one effective in its own right, and we leave them all in place because we found that people, when they change from one worksheet to another, to another, to another, on occasion move back and forth, that it opens new spaces within them. So those things can be downloaded from the website and printed off on your own printer and done on paper. So we're here, and, and the, the reason we're here is to answer questions to support you in being able to use those tools. You know, if you're in the app, you can be on any page in the app, and if a question comes up, you just click a button, write your question out, hit send. It'll go to Jeannie. She'll read it on the show. We'll answer it, and she'll send you back an email that says, here's a link to your answer. Give it a listen. 
And, of course, you can download and listen to it over and over and over again. The radio show now is in its 12th year. Actually, we're getting ready for 13th year next month. We'll start into our 13th year, five days a week, uh, an hour a day for the first um, about seven years, I guess, maybe eight years, and then the last three or four or five, two hours a day. And so there are thousands of radio shows. They're free in our archives. Put it to work. We're here to support you, and we're here for questions, answers. What kind of support do you need? How, how can we lift you in your process, in your work, in your understanding? A call-in number, if you uh, are on one of those stations where we can't see you, is 563-999-3581. Dial that number, 563-999-3581. You'll be listening to the show. And then, if, and we're having a conversation. So, be delighted to talk with you. Push one, say hello. What's happening in your world? Maybe if you missed last week, sharing what you're thankful for, share it with us. And/or, what's your question? How can we support you, Miss Jeannie? Do we have anybody yeah. with a hand up? We. We do, and but first I wanted to say I've put the link for the Pahrump. I found his email, and it is live and also by Zoom, and it actually started last night, and he's apparently doing his support group every Friday now instead of every other awesome. Friday. And, yeah, and what he's doing is taking a Hallmark movie, and it's um, uh, The Twelve Dates of Christmas, and He's, I've attached the PDF of some questions. He suggests you watch the movie ahead of time, either streaming or rent it or buy it or whatever. And then it's that, you know, we don't see what we think we see and we don't understand what we think we understand. And so he's got a whole list of questions for you to answer after you've watched the movie or while you're watching the movie. And then the support group meeting is actually going over those questions and answers and learning together um, how to see things differently. That's pretty cool. So I put that link in in the notes for today. I've also in the notes for today put the responsibility communication rules and also the examples of, we've got three examples of people that used that communication and so you can read those two to go by examples. And we actually have two hands up. But the first one was, I believe, Dusty904. You're on the air. Well, greetings, one and all. And uh, you do not a bad impersonation of a, of, a vi- of a video, of a movie. That was very good. <laughs> Delighted to hear your voice. How are you, sir? Uh, oh, I'm doing great today. And, um, um, you know, it just occurred to me that when uh, about this, about being painted inside the eyeballs, you know, it also says somewhere in uh, that book um, something to the effect, lest you be as little children, you know, you don't get into the kingdom of heaven. And I think maybe that that that's part of the solution of uh, uh, not having a preconception. Yeah. So, yeah, so anyway, thanks for that. That was good. That's important. And um, also, I wanted to, um, uh, uh, a quick aside, actually, it's not really why I called, but 
Um, I I had uh, gotten got an Avacyn, as you know, and uh, I used it for quite a while and really liked it. And then I uh, lost use of it for two or three months. And when I finally got it back, whoa, boy, my appreciation of it went way up. It was um, if if I look at it that way and I kind of use it that way in my consciousness, especially. Uh, it's sort of like a prana machine in a way, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, prana. Sweet. Yeah, yeah. So anyways, um, yeah, th- I thank Patrick and you for bringing that to uh, my awareness. And um, uh, I wanted also, I just wanted to say I how much I appreciate the fact that uh, – you have, um, through uh, whatever sources, you have introduced certain Aramaic concepts. And I I love words that have meaning. So I'll list a little from French. I'll list a lot from Sanskrit. I'll list a little here from there. There's something that has meaning for me. And when you introduced uh, into my life the high idea of, of uh, forgiveness in the way, the shebag in the way that it was, I guess, originally intended, and that sin was just off the mark. Wow, what a beautiful thing. It just wipes guilt and all that crap right off the board and for me. And, yeah. yeah, Yeah, over the years... Uh, that is the most profound piece for virtually everybody. Everybody, you know, I meet yeah. people sometimes 20, 30 years later, like, oh, the thing that changed my life <laughs> was that, uh, <laughs> that I understood that sin was just an energy that's off the mark. That's like monumental. Yes, and um, also I really um, – now Ruka Dekutcha is um, – and in my own limited way, I already know her by other names, and uh, and and uh, but I loved um, the way it's presented in Aramaic. Um, and also, there's another word I wonder if you would be kind enough to expound on. <clears throat> I could I could use it. Um, the first law, uh, Yeshua. I wonder if you could talk about that for a minute. Sure. Sure. They ask Yeshua, according to the Greeks, you know, what's most important in the law, as though, as in the Greek uh, world, the word law references the rules of a superior. What are the rules that this superior God, is, if we break them, it, or, you know, is going to punish us? What, what, what's most important in it? Well, the first big error that the Greeks made is the word law has nothing to do with being the rule of a superior, some demand made by some angry being that's going to get you if you don't obey. But the word law in Aramaic simply means the way it works. Yeah, exactly. It's the law of gravity. The way it works, you know, a large body attracts a small body. It's just the way it works. It doesn't, doesn't, oh, you better attract another law. It's just the way it works. So that's the first thing to uh, to clarify. just jump in just a sec. I, 
having an RF engineer background, I think of things like that as a circuit. You know, it's either a really good circuit and it works or it doesn't, you know. And, uh, exactly. So, any, yeah. And if it so doesn't, it's thin. If yeah. it doesn't, it's thin. That's <laughs> right, right. Now, right. if somebody's pounding the brain cells for guilt into you, then it's going to mean guilt for sin, too. And, you know, it's interesting. I, I think that the whole idea of guilt initially was something that was meant to be positive by the people who were brainwashing their children with it. You'll be, you'll be yeah. guilty if you do this. And they thought that they were putting an inhibitor in, but actually they didn't understand that we lived in an energy system and that all that conversation about what you should be guilty about builds the brain cells for doing that which you're going to be guilty about <laughs> and becomes the attractive energy that drives people to do it. You know, but yeah, it's a people bit didn't like understand the, the way the energy, energy system worked. Yeah, 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 exactly. And it's a little like atomic energy, you know. <laughs> <It's>, uh, whoops. Right. <laughs> we just didn't get that one. Right? So, so it's basically, um, as, as the first law, it's about uh, love, essentially. Is that right? Well, what he says is, the Greeks say that he says, you must love God and your neighbor as yourself. Totally, yep, completely false, fake, screws up the whole game of life if you believe that's the first law. That's why, in the name of the people who are promulgating that Greek translation, we've got so much trauma going on in the world and so much insanity going on in the world. And why, like, for instance... You know, that supposedly is a quote-unquote Christian principle. And we now have 32,000 sects of so-called Christianity. Like, how, how does that happen? Well, if the you don't have a man's word. Wow. Only 32,000 sects, yep. Wow. wow. You know, it's interesting, Vladimir Lenin, who is probably responsible for more deaths on planet Earth than any human being in history, said this, if you change the meaning of a culture's words, you can destroy that culture. And that's exactly what yeah. happened. So if we go to exactly. the Aramaic, the words as they fall from Yeshua's mouth is, and I'll do the long form, there is a filter in the frontal lobes of your brain that's called Rachma. Rachma is both a filter and a gateway. As a gateway, if it's open... Love, human life, your created essence, comes into your physiology and you get to live as a human being. If it's closed, there's no love in you, there is no human essence, and you'll do whatever you've been brainwashed to do by your culture and by your, your genes. The second function of this gateway is as a filter, and what it does is it lays over the frontal lobes of the brain where intentions are held. And it filters out all intentions based in hostility or fear and makes only intentions that are keyed to love available in your awareness. Again, this is the long form. And the reason why it's important to have only those intentions keyed to love available in your awareness is because your intentions are the raw material of your goals. You know, there are people out there who are writing books about the power of intention, and they're silly. It's a silly precept. Intention can no more cause a behavior 
than a shadow can carry a stone. Mm-hmm. An intention has to be turned into a goal to drive behavior. So in essence, if Rachma is active, love is present in your mind, and all of your intentions are keyed to love so that all of the raw material of your goals are based in love, and when you set one into motion, then you activate a second filter in the back of the brain where perception is stored. This second filter is a corollary filter to Rachma. It's called Kuba. The two filters active together in Aramaic were called perfect love. You'll remember they said perfect love casts out fear. Rachma and Kuba set in your mind mean that your mind can't produce a fear-based reality no matter what you think or do. And, of course, that's important. We we got a really sweet lesson from a guy named Job when he said, after all of the drama and trauma that he went through, it's like, oh, I got it. That which I feared most has come upon me. That which I dreaded has happened to me. If I add the filter or the energy of fear behind a thought complex, it draws that and sets that up in my life. So Rachma and Kuba together mean that now the filter over perception is active that only allows units of perceptual memory to be used to build your reality, your perception, you know, the thing that you project onto the lines on the board, if that's what you're doing. And when Kuba is active, then all of the brain cells that are going to come into play for building your reality are going to be key to love. So now you've got support for living as a human being in the world because you have the internal set that's required in order to make that happen. And, you know, there is nowhere in the Greek, the Latin, or the English language that you can even approximate those ideas. Like, there's just no right. such concept as Rachma. doesn't exist. Or Kuba. But in Aramaic, yeah. it does. Yeah. Well, that's that's beautiful, and um, and and it. I guess it sounds to many, and 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 when I'm feeling in a biological off way, it sounds a bit much to me too. But I know that what you just said is true, and uh, one, um, I guess, simplified way for me to look at it is just if I set my intention right now, and I've decided right in this now, 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 now that that whatever I experience is some aspect of love and I'm going to go with it and work with it. And then, ooh, all of a sudden the day is brighter than than if I'm focusing on, you know, some dark aspect of something. And and, uh, as one thinketh, et cetera, but, yeah, a lot of truth to that, eh? It's profound, eh? I didn't know yeah, you were man. Canadian. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. I've been shooting uh, 9,000 peaks for, 9,000 foot peaks for years. Aha. Uh-huh. In fact, I broke my leg. <laughs> I actually wasn't in Canada. It was uh, when I was 19. I tore that bad in, on, in Sun Valley, Idaho. So, oh, yeah. Eh? And, um, but thank you. That was a that was, that was a, I like your long form. That's 
um, and the way that came together. And um, and I, I do think about intention and how important that is. Um, and I guess that's kind of in part what you had just said, eh? <laughs> that's it. Yeah, intention. Well, my intention is that I I love you guys. I I, I think that uh, I I love the uh, the the um, Hawaiian word. I know you know it. Um, um, why did I just blank on the Hawaiian word? Oh my God! Uh, da, 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 da. I hate that when that happens. Um, basically, Ohana is the word, and it means the family. Um, yeah, the family of man. In other words, uh, people have a tendency to be over, uh, incredibly loyal to, um, uh, to their genetic affiliates and and maybe who they're married to and where their money comes from. But everybody and everything, it's not just people, the way I look at it. Everything deserves that uh, non-harmful love, eh? Yeah, okay. And the word aloha is virtually identical to the word rachma. Yes. And I believe the Hawaiians are one of the lost tribes that had that knowledge and lost it. That could have been, and I'm I'm with you. I always felt that aloha wasn't just high. It was this whole opening to spirit and love and being, you know. And, yeah. And, and it, it is. And, and I was, I have to tell you, Michael, I was, uh, I mean, we've known each other a long time, but not um, not too long after I, I last saw you in Atlanta, I, um, I went back to Hawaii. And I found myself the only uh, uh, white guy <laughs> in, a, in a group of, large group of Hawaiians that, have, that had uh, come together uh, kind of surreptitiously um, back in the woods, and they were trying to what, bring the original Hawaiian uh, spirituality, just what you talked about with aloha, um, back into context. And and um, and what was I love that they were doing that and I and I even have a card somewhere I'm I literally card carrying member that outfit and uh, but also what I found is with indigenous peoples or peoples that are connected to uh, Ruka and and Rachma and all that that I, I get to go in and out of freely. I, I, don't ha- I don't get frisked at the border, so to speak. I mean, I came into this Hawaiian group and no one batted an eye because they just, I, I was there with the same intent and um, um, somewhat same consciousness as them and, it was a really kind of a warm fuzzy for me and a, and a beautiful thing. And, and I we, found that, yeah, 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 you know, it's like, oh, it's so hard. Oh, it's so hard. 
it's, it's hard sometimes keeping up with this culture. But at any rate, uh, I really appreciate your show. And isn't it nice to have Jeannie as your IT person running, doing the heavy lifting on that one? Oh, let me t- tell you, her genius in the computer realm is, well, we wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing this without her. So mucho, mucho yeah. gusto. And thank you, Jeannie, yes, for your skills, your genius. I'm amazed. I'm amazed by it, and because she's so facile. I mean, she just goes, blah, 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 blah. oh yeah, I did this, that, and the other, and I'm going, oh gosh, that would only take me six months, you know. <laughs> and she did it in an hour or something, you know. And I'm going, wow, it's pretty neat. Uh, <laughs> little secret: one thing she refers to herself is as like a dog with a bone. <laughs> she my my oh. computer went down the other day, and she's probably spent about four days, you know, getting it down to the point where we isolated the problem with one of the drives and uh, was able to get at least the uh, program drive working. And so, yep, she is. Oh yeah, tenacious. Oh, eh? she's an awesome, sweet lady with a bone. Well, I guess it wouldn't be that an awesome, sweet lady. Uh, let's see, with the croissant, that would be the good analogy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right, yeah. Lady? It sounds yeah, like I it. like croissants. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, what's your croissant filled with? Something beautiful, no doubt. Yeah. And speaking of, uh, Dusty, in the notes for today, and I'll also send it to you in an email, we actually have a whole page on the website about Rock Macuba. And uh, so I'll oh, send great. you a link to that. Yeah. Great. I always love, I love that. And... Um, and, you know, there, there were other cultures there that, uh, like, for instance, you probably know about the Nabataeans, um, who um, prior to, to, to uh, Yeshu's time and a little bit after, they were like the poster children for the long-distance camel treks across the, the desert wasteland because they carried them um, <clears throat> um, oh, you know, frankincense and myrrh and all that sort of what we call Yemen, all the way up to the uh, Mediterranean area where it was in big demand. And I just mention that because they had their own viewpoint. And when you find a, an, a, an, 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 you know, a, uh, more, I don't know, I don't want to pitch this, uh, but, but they had, for instance, for, their society for a long time prior to the Islam was, very matriarchal. We I mean, didn't find that much up in the Mediterranean, but but theirs was, and I also found that there's there's a lot of beauty out there if you can find it. But you know, for sure, a lot of them awesome, amazing people. Yeah, yeah. At any rate, it's definitely uh, pushing the clock here, and um, I. Just wanted to say those things a little bit about that Avicen and about how much I appreciate the uh, the, um, the it's a window the Aramaic words and the explanation that you've been able to bring through are like windows into another uh, a, a beautiful opening like fresh air oh yeah and I love that delighted to be on the team sir yay. Go team. Okay. Well, uh, God bless everybody and um, uh, have a wonderful uh, holiday, whatever it is for you.
Whole season coming up. We're on it. We're on it. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go jump in the ocean. It's 60-something right now. And, uh, Enjoy. Go out. Yeah, man, I will. I'll, I'll do, I'll do some worksheets on, on N, I'll do some worksheets on Envy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, don't worry about it too much because uh, if I catch a good one, I'll hold you in consciousness. How's that? All right. I appreciate that. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. All righty. Take care. Blessings. Bye-bye. And their next caller is Miss Susan, 610. You're on the air. Hi. Well, responsible communication. I'm learning it from yes, a new ma'am. angle. And, uh, lots of work to do there, but I had a very interesting interchange with Michael, our Michael, uh, yesterday, where he said, you know, I can't talk the way other people do. Nobody understands me. I don't know how to talk on the phone with people. And I said, well, look, when you're being called for interviews, how about we do it on speakerphone and I, I can be in on it and maybe I know you well enough that we could together find the words that you want. And sure enough, an agency called this morning and I went downstairs with my phone. The woman wanted to... And I'm talking about communication with an, a, someone on the spectrum who also has PTSD, high anxiety. Right. Very immediately goes into fear and paralysis, really. So I got to go downstairs with this woman on the phone, and she said a very simple thing to him, but he looked at me and shrugged his shoulders with terror, like, how do I answer this? What she said was, tell me about yourself. Tell me your story, what's been going on. It's as if she was speaking a foreign language. And I don't know if this connects exactly with responsible communication, but um, because... I've often said to Michael, you know, we don't know what you're thinking. We don't know if you have plans. Uh, we don't know if you're saving money toward a car, what your expectations are, how long you're planning to stay here. And he says, well, nobody understands me when I speak. I said, well, I'm listening. Give it a try. And with this woman, he looked at me and handed me the phone, and I said, Michael, do you want me to tell her what has your story as I know it to start. And I just said Michael was, you know, uh, homeless for 15 years, has a tremendous amount of anxiety because of that. And um, he's been living with us for a year and we're looking for housing because we're not going to be here forever and he can stay with us as long as we're here. But at some point we're going to have to have a place for him. And she, the woman was great. And she said, well, Michael, does that sound right to you? And he said, yeah, that sounds right. So he was sort of getting, finding his way onto a track. Um, And so my question is, have you had experience with people with autism or extreme anxiety working with the responsibility communication tool? Actually, yes. Not somebody with extreme autism, but I have had people on the spectrum who used it and found it to be quite helpful. Actually, both that and the forgiveness process. I think of a couple of people who are high-functioning autistics that I know that have taken the tools and just really put them to work. 
um, and gotten major life changes from them. That's great. I so, haven't yes. been able to inter- I haven't been able to introduce them to him. You know, early on we made a stab at it, but it was it just wasn't the right vehicle or something anyway. It didn't work. So Yeah, my <laughs> thought my thought for Michael right now is that the responsibility communication would probably be uh somewhat difficult for him. Mm-hmm. And um the probably the forgiveness tool would be easier. Although just um modeling using the responsibility communication, you know, just making a point of, yeah, I recognize this is a reality in my mind and and uh you know that I know that there are things I can do to change it. Might be uh mm-hmm. might be good modeling for him to build the brain cells, to develop the brain cells to be able to uh to speak and think in those terms. Well the the only extent that I've been able to use it is when he tells me something, I get to say, is this what you meant when you just said that? Because he'll say right. something like, people are evil, people are bad. I don't want to go out there. And I'll say, well, there are probably some experiences that you've had that lead you to feel that, but are there any that weren't like that? And he says, no, it's been just awful. You have no idea what it's like out there. And I said, well, Michael, you said that all people are evil, and Tim and I are people. And he said, oh, I don't mean you. And I said, that's it. Find the people that you don't mean. I bet there are lots of people out there that don't fall into that category. But that's right, much the exactly. way it's going. Uh, anyway... But we had a real win with a social worker, not a social worker, a woman called back. It's hard to get people to call back, but she said, we do have a, he's a vet only because he went through basic training and then he was discharged because of pronated feet, something. He couldn't even walk properly. So he didn't Mm -hmm. consider himself a vet, but he is. And we got a hold of his discharge paper and that has opened all kinds of doors to possible services for him as a vet. So suddenly she's you know, saying, out to us, what? Go ahead. There is a, uh, a vet organization that works with vets on getting them support. And with his state, you know, um, the uh, this organization could be paying his caretaker, his support person, i.e. it could be you or if he moves somewhere else, up to $2,000 a month he would get wow. from his military service. Mm-hmm. Do you know the name of that organization? I sure do. I'll send it to you. That would be great. I sure, yeah, that would be great. In well, fact, Jeannie, Jeannie, in case there's anybody else with that, have you got it, Tom? Uh, that information that you can just give right now and then it'll be in the archives and available for anybody? Um, I don't have it off the top of my head, but I'm looking it up as we speak. Uh, Jeannie. <laughs> Another example of the greased light- lightning person in the background. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. Well, it's, this process is forcing Michael and me to talk more than we've talked. And I find this actually helps untie 
my terribly critical inner power person that steps right in, you know, and makes judgments all over the place, which I am watching moment to moment to moment. (sighs) And there's a good possibility that that perceptual construct in his mind about people is a message he got from his power person that was supposed to be true about him. I'd bet dollars to donuts. You mean that the power person said he was evil? Yes. Yeah. And then, you know, remember that uh, when ultra-stressed, and it sounds like Michael pretty much lives in that ultra-stressed space a tremendous amount of the time, then the the behavior one does is going to be what they hated the most from their power person. And I'm talking right down to literal letter-by-letter, word-by-word, word patterns. Oh, my God. That's very interesting. Well, it's it's really a terrifying picture. He has an 80-something-year-old sister. He doesn't know if she's still alive. He doesn't care to find out. He won't tell me her mm. name. Her name is Susan. That's all I know. And she's someone. Mm. Uh, and he has an ex-wife who lives in this neighborhood. He won't tell me where or who she is. I don't want to have anything to do with them. And he said, when you drop my mail on the top step, I'm terrified because they've found me out. I've been discovered. I'm terrified that I'm going to be in trouble. I mean, we're talking serious fear. He says, I try not to think at all because when I think, I'm in total panic. My thoughts are so bad. Can you imagine living in yep. all the time? Thought disorders do that. I mean, people are harried, you know, and, and people think it's got to do with somebody in the outside world. That's yeah. just typical. Mm-hmm. Tortured. Uh, that what information is it's called veteran advocacy ad, advocacy. I think I'm saying that right. Associates. Yep. And the website for anybody that's listening is my m y v a a dot org. And there's a Wonderful. button you can click to get pre qualified. Um, and they actually have on their website, depending on your situation, you can qualify for maximum benefits up to, and then it gives the amount. So he would be a single veteran, and it's got up to $2,229 a month. What they would do is they would pay him, and he would pay you. And it's it's not just free money to the veteran. It is a care provider um, payment. Like I had to prove, you know, even before Dad went into assisted living, I had to prove how much money he gave me every month to pay, you know, his bills, his medical, and all of those Uh things. And there's several Mm -hmm. pages and papers that you have to fill out and prove Mm -hmm. income and all that kind of thing. But um, the the link to get pre-qualified is on there. So what you would have to do is he would have to have some kind of an agreement that he paid so much to you to take care of him, they would send him the check, but then he would have to give you so much, that amount of it, and if in case they ever did a paper trail on it. Oh, that's, that, he, he's the one that needs the money because he's going to be leaving here. I wonder if they would pay him toward rent for a safe space for himself. Um, I'll that ask would, them. That would be included, I'm sure, because I I included like you know everything from his health insurance 
to the home costs to, you know, mm-hmm. anything I had to buy for him to make his life more comfortable. Um, and they never come mm-hmm. back and ask me to prove it, but I've kept a paper trail in case they ever did. Wow, Jeannie, that's so interesting. Yeah, I forgot your dad was a vet, and of course he was. Okay, yeah. thank you so much. You're welcome. All right, well, the uh, the phone has already told me. It's whispered in my yep. ear that the show is over, so I'm going to say, everybody, have the best year yet of your eternal life. Hope it serves. Have a blessed one. Bye-bye.